Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. gather with your people to um, consider your word, to have your Holy Spirit teach us through the word and through one another as we talk about it and share life and, and apply it together. And it's just such a gift. And we want to turn all of that praise and glory and honor to you. And just thank you. Thank you for one another. And thank you for your presence with us this morning. And God, I'm asking you this morning as, as we dive into your word, as we look at it um, hopefully in a new way, that you would speak, that you would move me aside. If there's anything that I'm about to say that is not of you, God, would you just uh, keep it from getting into anyone's head? Just help them to forget it right away. But if it's from you, God, would you do something with it? Would you, would you change us? Would you encourage us? Would you move us into action? Would you help us to trust you? We need you, God. We need your we need your help and your presence in our life, and so we give this morning to you, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, this is my mountain. I've shown it to a few of you before. Uh, it's, it's called Hermit's Peak. It's located right outside of Las Vegas, New Mexico, and the reason it's called Hermit's, I don't know if you can see this, but it looks like a man's face laying on his back, and you can kind of see his forehead and his nose and his chin. That's why it's called Hermits. If you can see that, um, I have climbed to the top of his nose many, many times in my life. And the view up there is just absolutely stunning. This is a picture of my three children and my son-in-law on top of this mountain just a couple of summers ago, and you just see the glorious uh, view from there. Well, about... Uh, well, I shouldn't say years, many, many years ago, when I was about the age of my two sons here, I was a counselor at a nearby camp, and I was leading a hike to this mountain with two of my very closest counselor friends. And I was super excited to be on this mountaintop experience with two of my favorite people. It was just going to be glorious. Well, before the hike began, uh, we drew straws amongst the three of us as to who would lead the back of the pack. Because we're, we're talking about lots of kids that we are leading on this hike. And I was the lucky winner. I was going to be in the back with all the slow kids. <laughs> and there's about a, it's about a three-mile hike to get to the trailhead to start climbing up the mountain. So we had a long way to go. And I was with the slow kids, and we were very far back from the pack. And I took a wrong turn, and I got lost with all the whiners. <laughs> and I was somewhere down there by the chin, you know, between the nose and the chin, and I was just circling and circling and circling, trying to find the trailhead, and I was trying to keep it together, and I did. But I finally just got so frustrated, and I just set us all down for a break, and one of the kids said, you're lost, aren't we? Or you're lost, aren't you? And I was like, uh, <laughs> yes, I am. And I kind of lost it at that point. And I really felt, guys, like I wanted to send all those whiners home, and I just wanted to sit under a tree and cry my eyes out, because <laughs> I had no idea what I was going to do. It's kind of like Elijah was this week. 
Marty did such a great job last week of, of helping us to see Elijah's major mountaintop experience on Mount Carmel. And that spiritual view that he had there was way better than anything I've ever seen on top of Hermit's Peak. Elijah was bold, and he was on fire, kind of literally, right? He saw the fire of heaven come down. He saw God win that showdown, hands down on the mountain. And he was excited. He was pumped. He was moved to action. Remember, he ran ahead of Ahab to Jezreel. And I bet he was thinking something like, surely Ahab and Jezebel are going to believe me now. Surely they're going to turn all these people to Yahweh, the one true God. And I bet you he was excited. What am I going to see? But that confidence we saw today was short-lived. So today I want you to get your Bibles out. We're going to kick it old school. We're going to be looking mostly in chapter 19 this morning. And I'm not going to put these scriptures up on the screen. So I want you to be reading along with me. We're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. So this same guy, who was not afraid of 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, is afraid of this one woman? So afraid, in fact, that he does not go to confront her and Ahab. Instead, he's running for his life. I recently heard a friend describe Elijah as extra. Isn't, isn't that just so fitting? He feels really high highs and really low lows. He seems to overreact to everything. And here he finds himself in deep trouble and he desperately needs help. And God is so graciously going to come to him. And when he does, he's going to meet his needs. He's going to challenge his perspectives about God and about himself. And he's going to point him and us to Jesus. So we're going to start this morning with a God who meets needs. Let's go back to the text in verse 4. And Elijah asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Well, I so relate to this 
section of the text. As someone who has wrestled with depression for most of my life, I know what it's like to feel these super low lows, to wish, in fact, that you were dead. And I see God showing such tender care here to Elijah's whole being, his physical nature, his emotional nature, and his spiritual nature. I love how God starts to minister to Elijah's physical needs with a bed and breakfast by the sea. God doesn't start by rebuking him, which he certainly could have. Instead, through an angel, he cooked while Elijah rested. Sometimes that's where God starts with us. God is a lot like my grandmother. No matter when or why I stopped by her house when I was growing up, she lived close to me. No matter when I stopped by, she would say, Amy, go lay down. I'm going to make you something to eat. And I always felt so loved, so nurtured, so cared for by her. And God is like that with us. He cares for our physical needs. Well, the second time the angel of the Lord comes to him, he addresses his emotional needs. He touched him a second time, and he spoke a kind word of encouragement. Arise and eat, for the journey is just too great for you. Again, he didn't give him a Bible study. He didn't give him a book to read. He just gave him a touch and a word. And maybe you need that today. Maybe God is trying to reach you with a hug or a word of encouragement from one of your friends, from someone in whom he dwells. So are you listening for that encouragement? And then finally, he addresses Elijah's spiritual nature. The text says that he went in the strength of that food and drink for 40 days of solitude, 40 days and nights to come into the presence of God, to quiet all the noise, to listen for God's voice before he ever got to Mount Horeb. God has cared for me just like this. Time and time again, he'll meet my physical needs, my emotional needs, my spiritual needs, as he guides me to the word of truth. So in medical terms, sometimes God stabilizes me as his patient, stabilizes me physically and emotionally and spiritually. Before he does that difficult task of just cutting me open with the double-edged sword of his word and performing heart surgery, what I really need. And that's what he's about to do for Elijah. So let's continue on with a God who challenges perspectives. First, about God, and then about self. So we read in verse 8, Elijah comes to Horeb, the mount of God. And then look at 9. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. So I want to talk for a minute about this mount of God. Of all the places that I long to go when I'm hurting or I'm confused or I'm broken, it's that mountain that I showed you at the beginning, that camp that I went to as a child and as a teenager and as a young adult, Camp Blue Haven. I want to go back there because I know that God is present there, and I have felt him. I know that he has, has reached me there, and so I want to go back and feel that again. And I think Elijah is doing the same thing here. He's been wandering for 40 days, but not aimlessly. 
He wants to get to Mount Horeb because he knows that God has shown up there before. You see, Mount Horeb is also known by the name Mount Sinai. This is a picture of it. This is the same place that God revealed his glory in a very powerful way to Moses back in Exodus. If you remember in Exodus 33, Moses had said to God, please show me your glory. And God had said, okay, I'm going to pass you by. But to do that, he had to hide him in the cleft of a rock and he had to cover his face because it was just going to be too much for him to see God's presence. And so, um, Elijah is likely in the exact same spot, in a cave or a cleft of the rock. And I think Elijah is essentially saying to God, do it again. I want to see your glory again. I want to know who you really are. I need you. And so he goes to a place where he knows God has shown up before. So let's pick up in verse 9. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said to him, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. So we see here God starts with a question. He initiates the conversation, just like he did back in our first lesson with Solomon. This is a question he's going to repeat twice. Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah gives a response, and then he wants to hear back from God, right? He wants to hear God speak and tell him what he wants to hear, but instead... God tells him to go and do something. Isn't that so like God? When we want him to do something, he speaks. When we want him to speak, he tells us to go and do something. And so, God tells Elijah, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. God intends to pass him by, just as he did for Moses all those years before, just as Jesus did for his disciples, remember in Mark, when they were out on the, on the sea and it was tumultuous, he intends to pass him by, but God won't come as Elijah expects. Remember, God had already showed up back at Cherith and then in the wilderness as an angel. No sermons, just nearness and provision. And now on the, on the mountain, some powerful things pass by. A violent wind. I mean, it shook everything. It would have been terrifying. An earthquake, loud, rumbling, and then fire. Wow, all-consuming. And remember, God appeared to Moses in all of those forms on Mount Sinai when he gave the law. 
And God just showed up on Mount Carmel in fire. So it would be so normal and natural for Elijah to expect something like that. But not this time. God wanted Elijah to listen, to be open to God's unique voice. And so when God spoke, he spoke in the most surprising form of all. Now, the actual Hebrew term here is this. It's pronounced damama. And you'll notice almost every translation translates it differently. The ESV translates it the low whisper. The NIV, the gentle whisper. The NASB, the sound of a gentle blowing. And the King James Version, I love this one, the still, small voice. But the word is really hard to translate, and it it could be translated as calm, as silence, as stillness. It's the same word that's used in Psalm 107, 29, about God when it says, He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. And so in essence here, I think God calmed that violent chaos externally all around Elijah, and then he calmed him internally. And when it was still and quiet, Elijah heard God's voice in a whole new way. So let's see how he responded in verse 13. It says, When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, Again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said the same thing. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So first we see that Elijah's perspective about God had changed because this time he covers his face. He recognizes the holiness of God and he stands before him again. And so now God, I think, is about to change his perspective about himself. So we saw Elijah is sad. He's maybe a little angry. He pours out his heart and lament to the Lord. But the Lord welcomes this conversation. Elijah starts off once again by thinking just a little too highly of himself. Right? He says, I have been jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. So this is my interpretation, but I think he's essentially saying, I'm a really good guy. I've done some really good things, and everybody else has messed up. So you owe me, God. Does that sound familiar? And ironically, at the very same time, he thinks too lowly of himself. I am the only one left. Everyone wants to kill me. So my interpretation is nobody likes me. Nobody's listening to me. And don't we do this all the time? I often think of myself primarily as a pretty good person, who occasionally sins, instead of seeing that I am a desperate sinner in need of God's grace at all times. And then sometimes it makes no sense, but I will struggle with thoughts of not being good enough, not being 
able to earn God's love and favor that's never mine to earn anyway, but I still struggle with it. And so I think God is challenging Elijah's perspective of himself here, and he's ultimately pointing him to the gospel. Without saying anything, he's saying, I'm with you, Elijah. Trust me. Before he ever gives him instructions about what to do. And I think he's saying the same thing to us. Trust my son, Jesus Christ, my gentle word made flesh among you. You're not as good as you think you are. You need him. And nothing you can do can make me, God, love you any more than I already love my son in you. So this is one of my favorite expressions of the gospel You are more sinful than you ever dared believe. And you are more loved and accepted in Christ than you ever dared hope. Elijah was just like us, a man just like us, dependent upon God's grace. So Romans 12, 2 says to us, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So just to make sure Elijah gets this point, God is going to give Elijah some marching orders, some things to do, and they're all going to prove to him that it's not about him. Right? So look at verses 15 to 17. We're not going to read them, but I'm going to paraphrase here. I think God is kind of saying to him, okay, I'm with you. My voice, my quiet voice is there. Now do some things. Go anoint some kings because I'm going to use them for my purposes. And then go and pass the torch of ministry on to somebody else, to Elisha. Because guess what, Elijah? It's not all about you. And you're also wrong. He says this kindly, not not harshly. There are 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed down to Baal. And I think Elijah was trying, or God was trying to show Elijah, it's all about me. And because it's all about me, I have reserved that remnant. And so you have actually been more effective than you thought because I was the one doing the work. So let's read now in verse 19. And so he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him and was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and, his, and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So here we finally meet Elisha, the one that I told you back in the beginning was going to point us to Jesus, and I think he does that here. He points Elijah to Christ and us to Christ. Elisha's name means the same thing that the name Jesus means. God will save. And Elisha 
sacrifices everything, all of his livelihood, his very oxen, to follow God and his servant. Just like Jesus left everything to take on the form of a servant, to be obedient even to death on a cross for us. So I think Jesus has actually been showing up all over the text here in chapters 19 to 22. And I just want to point out just a a couple of highlights as we close today. Um, First of all, like the cleft of the rock, Jesus is our refuge. I think it's so cool on the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark chapter 9, you have Moses and Elijah seeing the rock in which both of them had been hidden. Jesus is the one who was shaken down, who took the violence of the wind, the violence of the earthquake, the fire consuming. He took all of that upon himself so that you and I could stand in the presence of a holy God. Then in chapter 21, we met Naboth, the vineyard owner, the one falsely accused and killed by Jezebel, so Ahab could have what he coveted. And so, like Naboth, Jesus refused to give up the inheritance that he secured for us. He wasn't willing to let it go. He wasn't willing to take the easy way out. And like Naboth, Jesus was falsely accused, and he was killed for crimes that he did not commit. But unlike Naboth, Jesus did this willingly, He laid down his life to secure our inheritance. So I think we can all agree that Ahab was a really bad dude and Jezebel a very wicked woman, right? Chapter 20 showed us how Ahab, at war with Syria, directly disobeyed God's commands for his own personal gain. And then now Jezebel, we've just seen, falsely accused Naboth and have him killed so that her pouting husband can get his way? So these two people are despicable, are they not? They make us sick to our stomachs, and yet they represent us. Aren't we tempted to say, I am so glad I am not like Ahab and Jezebel. But their sin, though it seems worse, is not worse than ours. Because in our flesh, we are more like Ahab and Jezebel than we are like Jesus. And so, Elijah confronts Ahab, and he accuses him of murder and theft, and he gives him some pretty stark consequences. Like in verse 20 and 21, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. And dogs are going to lick up your blood. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. 
So Ahab was cut to the heart by Elijah's words, and he humbled himself. Even though the text says, we saw in verse 25, that there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, acting abominably in going after idols. Even so, God responded to him with mercy. God would hold off bringing the consequences of Ahab's sin in his days, but there would be consequences yet to pay. For us, repentance leads us to cling to the grace that's found in Jesus alone. Because Jesus took all of those consequences on himself so that he could give us his righteousness to wear and to live in and to walk in in freedom. So as we close today, I'm going to take you back to that lost hike on Hermit's Peak. All those years ago, I was sitting on this rock, lost and angry, looking for that mountaintop view, and I begged God to send me help. And little did I know that the other group had been waiting for me at the trailhead for quite some time. My dear friend, Misty, did not want to leave me behind. So she was convincing them to wait. Give her, give her another chance. Give her a second. <laughs> and while they were waiting, Misty had to go to the bathroom. And there are no porta potties out on this mountain range. And Misty is a very modest person. So she had gone as far off the trail as she could possibly go to use the restroom. And I heard something in the grass behind me. I heard a rumbling. And I was so excited, I jumped up and I start running towards the sound. And mortified as she was, <laughs> it was Misty, my angel. <laughs> And so we followed Misty back to the trailhead, and guess what? We made it to the top of that mountain that day. Because God made a way for me when it seemed impossible in the most unexpected way. And he did that for Elijah, and he did that for Ahab, and he does that for you. Our sins, they are many, right? But his mercy is more. So we're going to stand, we're going to sing that together as we close.
you'll join me in prayer. God, we do praise you. Our sins, they are so many, but your mercy is more. What a gift. God, it, it just makes us want to, to lay down everything, just like Elisha did, and follow you wholeheartedly. So God, we do that together. Would you help us? Would you encourage us through your spirit? We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all right, have a great day.